Welcome to the GT Reboot. PlayStation had a big showing at its Paris Games Week conference, revealing new games like Spelunky 2, Guacamelee 2, and Sucker Punch's new IP, Ghost of Tsushima. Mike Pierce and I discussed this and other stories, including PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds Xbox debut, Super Mario Odyssey, and the unrelenting bad weather of New York City. Let's boot up! Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Joe DeClara. I am a contributing editor at Gaming Trend, and I am here with another contributing editor, our editor abroad, or editor at large, one Mike Pierce. Mike, how's it going this week? It's good, man. How about, how about yourself? You sound a little under the weather still. I, I still have terrible allergies right now because in New York, it's not stopped being cold, and I hear it's not going to change until around uh you know may or august or something somewhere around there so i'm, I'm so what you're saying cold. is it's winter generally what i hear so <laughs> so i'm sorry listeners if i sound nasally and under the weather it's because i am but we are still here to talk video games video game news and uh games that we've been playing so mike i told you the rundown what we were going to do today for news stories but i thought we'd mess around and i throw you a fastball i throw you a curveball actually fastball would be straightforward and you'd know what it is immediately curveball you don't know so here's the curveball we're going to talk about video games we've played this week whether they be phone games or console games or board games whatever it is we've been playing this week so mike what have you been playing this week how about you take a guess you've been playing hearthstone i bet <laughs> no actually i haven't Oh, no. that was my best guess. Oh, no, Total War Warhammer, I bet. Yeah, yeah. well, which little more specific? Uh, Total War Warhammer 2. Is yes, the game that's that what I've been playing. That's right. Yeah, I'm, in fact, let me, you know what, I'm right here. Let's see, how many hours do I have already? Oh, I'm almost at 100 hours already. Okay, well, that's great, because we had you <laughs> at, we no, for real, we had you at around 30 or 40 hours when you reviewed the game. And mm -hmm. you, by your own admittance, and I'm sure everyone understands, that is not a lot of time for a game like Total War Warhammer, which is a multiplayer or uh, PvE experience that uh, requires a lot of hours to really delve into and get your, your hands dirty with and understand the deep mechanics. So now you are a seasoned Total War Warhammer 2 player. So how are you mm -hmm. finding, how have you found your initial 100 hours of this game? Well, um, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I definitely will be playing another couple hundred hours, I'm sure, because there's there's just so much content in these games. It's crazy. Um, and it's, I stand by everything I said in the review. Um, there are definitely some weak spots like the, the you know, the naval battles and um, being basically a dice roll, a computerized dice roll. And that can get frustrating. But I love the armies, I love the graphics, I love the, the, the design of everything and how unique it is and how every army and race does feel very distinct and different on the battlefield and off the battlefield. So um, I'm, I'm still thoroughly infatuated with the game. And just, was it this last week? It was on the 26th, which was last week, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
on the 26th, Creative Assembly, the developers for Total War Warhammer 2 released a huge, huge update called Mortal Empires. And it's really interesting. It was free, and it was free for anyone who owns Total War Warhammer 1 or Total War Warhammer 2. And what it did was it actually joined the maps of those two games because in the actual Warhammer tabletop game, it is like one big kind of world that all these races and armies exist in. But the games obviously were developed separately with separate maps and, you know, like five or six races on this game and five or six races on this game. Yeah. Well, now with this Mortal Empires uh, update, they have joined the two maps together for free. And so you now, like when you're playing what they call a grand campaign, instead of going up against, you know, five or six other races, you're going up against all of them. And so it's it's way more crazy than it was before. You still have to pay to get access to all of the different races. But even if you haven't paid to be able to play them, you can still play against them. So so what's when you talk about investing, like uh, paying to get characters, you mean paying in-game currency or paying like actual money, like microtransactions? Actual money, but it's, it's not microtransactions. So like when you buy Total War Warhammer 1, you get, uh, what do you get? The dwarves, you get the orcs, you get the empire... Uh, he, I'm I'm having a major. Oh, he, the vampire counts, and then there were two or three races. Maybe there were the beastmen, the chaos, the wood elves, and Bretonia, I think, which were all DLC. Uh, sometimes they were also pre-orders for some people, but I think they're all available in DLC form. Mm. And the same sort of thing is happening with Total War Warhammer Two. They just haven't released any additional races yet. Sure. So, so with Total War Warhammer 2, you get four races. You get the High Elves, the Dark Elves, the Skaven, and the Lizardmen. And the everyone right now is busy trying to figure out what next, which race will drop next. So these races that you can purchase, they are you purchase them in a package, and you know what you're getting, and it's exactly, a set. Yeah. It's a set price. Okay. Precisely. See, yeah. It's, was- it's actually called DLC on Steam too. So. Right. I've made this joke before. It's There was a time once where that would seem outlandishly uh, presumptuous to ask players to pay more for a game that they've right. already paid for. Or, But now, in this world, we have to check all those things to see if this game is uh, ripping us off through loot boxes or uh, obtuse microtransaction systems, right? So that actually sounds very fair compared to everything else, else today, so... Uh, well, yeah, and I mean, when you think that Creative Assembly has made this huge update that that in a way adds a, a quite a large amount of content to your game, whether you've purchased it or not, you know, let's say you only own Total War Warhammer 1, um, now you still have access to this, you've essentially doubled the size of your map and you have lots more enemies and territory to take over. And you've gotten a lot more playtime, and the, and they released that all for free. So that's that's pretty cool. So create, Creative Assembly, in my mind, is um, they're they're not really down with the microtransactions, although they do definitely love their DLC, which, as you pointed out, is a few years ago we would have been freaking out about that. So I mean, DLC has always been okay, but like when it's something like 
like you know what goes into a dlc is the problem sometimes like there was a time where dlc was this post-launch created stuff right like the developers would get in and start making new content that wasn't part of the original game whereas now that's actually what this dlc is right believe it or not. right but later on people started uh complaining because well people start getting more concerned about what dlc meant because certain things that people assumed would be uh part of the full original launch game right say right uh, instead of 15 maps the game only comes with 10 maps and then there's five dlc maps people start feeling like this is them trying this is like a shakedown like they're yeah kind yeah of dripping there's this drip feed of content that they release through dlcs instead of giving you the whole package uh so that is was became the concern for dlc at some point there's plenty of people who don't even do that right like that don't feel it doesn't feel like they're let they're lobbing off bits of the game in order to put it behind a dlc pay gate right there's like games like the witcher which is just this insanely enormous game and then the two dlc packs the two expansions were some of one of them was even bigger than the original game and that's just ludicrous to think of so right yeah it's uh there are definitely good ex- examples of that i just wanted to make sure that this game it didn't feel like that this game was uh you know shaking down its players for those races that may seem imperative to multiplayer game like do you need these races in order to compete in the current meta game or is this uh do you feel it's a fair system it's definitely a fair system i mean if you're really into the multiplayer in total war warhammer and for some reason you feel like a particular race is that much stronger than another one um which shouldn't be the case anyway because you know creative assembly should be balancing all of that stuff and more than likely it's just you're not a good player. Mm. Um, but if, if you feel that way, then I suppose, um, I suppose you could feel a little bit angry about those, that particular race, not being immediately available upon buying the game. But, um, you know, like a lot of these races were developed after the full release of the game. And not only that, but when you're, if you just own the base game, it's not as though these races don't exist in your campaign. They absolutely do. And you get to fight against them and conquer their territory and, and do all this stuff. The only difference is you cannot actually start a campaign as one of those races. So you still, you know, it's not like they're withholding everything. You still, um, you still get a lot of content, even if you just own the base game. So, and I haven't bought all the races cause some of them I'm just not interested in. I'm content with just kicking their ass and not actually playing them. So, you know, there's like, I don't own the Beastmen. Um, I don't think I own Bretonia. And there might be one other, I think, too. Or, um, but, And it hasn't affected my enjoyment or my ability to play or compete online or anything. So they're very, I think they're very fair in general. That's great. Well, the game still sounds very good. However, I'll probably never play it because <laughs> I am terrible at RTSs. And uh, if ever I start playing an RTS, chances are I'll just think to myself that I'd rather just get on board with something like Dota or 
uh, Hots, which is uh, Heroes of the Storm, uh, Blizzard's uh, Dota esque. What is it? Uh, you know, I forget what these games are called. I, I'm a terrible video game host. Oh, um, but yeah, the these, Blizzard. These arena one. games and uh, damn, why can't I think of that either? These mobas. I mean, there we are. So the mob. I'm pulling up Blizzard. Right well, yeah, now. yeah. The hot, Heroes of the Storm mobas and stuff like that. I those kind of games I would probably jump on because that's what. RTSs have become sort of, and that's where everyone is now. So, do you ever feel the pull to start jumping into a MOBA like League of Legends or Dota or anything like that? No, no, MOBAs don't appeal to me at all. Really? Even like they look either, like yeah. to me, they just they look like RTSs. It looks like they function like RTSs. I don't know anything about these types of games to know whether or not they do, besides just the isometric perspective, like the top-down perspective. I mean, there's definitely some similarities, and uh, like if you if you read up on sort of the um, like where MOBAs came from, it, it generally the conversation always goes back to RTSs and strategy games, and that is that is a large influence for them. But I just don't I, I just don't really enjoy MOBAs at all. It just doesn't really do much for me. Um, I don't I don't know I don't know what else to. You've tried to MOBAs say before. really, yeah. I've tried um, Epic's current MOBA, the uh, Paragon. Oh sure. And I wasn't super into that. Um, and actually, the new Dawn of War three, which came out, God, what was that? Was that this spring? Maybe March or something like that. Uh huh. Um, that actually had quite a few MOBA ish elements in the multiplayer and I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of that either. And, and that was still very much a strategy game, but um, after a while I got kind of bored of the, the sort of the MOBA elements that they put in. Although I will agree that that was a smart move by the devs to do that because there's a lot of people who are interested in MOBAs these days. So I think that was a smart move financially. A lot of people, it's like, it's the most popular game. Well, nowadays PUBG gives them a run for their money especially on twitch but mobas are easily the most popular uh multiplayer game out there so i think the i think the big thing for me is just (laughs) the really really fast uh sort of like twitch speed micromanagement that you have to do and that just doesn't appeal to me like i like larger scale more grand sort of things unless it's Unless it's micromanagement in the sense of really, really serious historical accuracy. Like I've played a an old strategy game, for instance, where, you know, all of your troops, even down to small foot soldiers, actually had ammunition and you had to have like resupply trucks and you had to guard them and you'd have to like go resupply your frontline troops and all this other stuff. And it definitely got very micromanagey very quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. Anything that I could get deep in and Especially if you have to break out the Excel sheet. If you're breaking out the Excel sheet, I'm very excited. That's the kind of micromanagement <laughs> I want. Like I loved, I loved Civ, but that's very different from what we're talking about. Of course, that's like right, a turn-based right. single-player strategy game. So yeah, but I, uh, I don't know. I think there's definitely more of a Twitch-based, not micromanaging it aspect to it, but it seems like there's definitely a skill level to it, like an actual. Uh, physical skill that goes into it uh i saw one little documentary on this legendary play and this legendary game that uh is documented in dota 2 
and it was actually a campaign, not a campaign, it was actually a tournament that this team was, this underdog team was coming ahead, and they decided to use this one move, this like hookshot move, to like move across the map at extreme speeds, and they just couldn't be countered. And it was a really cool documentary. I had no idea what was going on in the game, except it looked like it was, there was like a physical skill set and a precision skill set required to do whatever it was they were doing. So I feel mm-hmm. like there's more than just the micromanaging. But anyway, I'm just speculating on how Dota 2 is played. I would rather just someone, if any of you listeners are Dota 2 experts, uh, please give us a shout to uh, podcast at gamingtrend.com and let me know if you have some coaching uh, expertise that you can offer either me or Mike. Probably just me. Uh, yeah, I would definitely, just definitely just Joe. Okay. But I'm glad you like Total War Warhammer 2. It's a great game, man. Absolutely. I love that game to death. All right. So I'm going to be talking about Super Mario Odyssey, hopefully with some other staff of Gaming Tread, because we have a bunch of people playing it. Uh, you, of course, aren't playing it because you are not a Switch owner. A heathen. Yeah. Well, no, you just don't have a Switch, which is totally fair. Although the holiday season's coming up, Mike. I don't know if you celebrate any holidays over there in the UK, but I think you should definitely consider... Uh, getting yourself a Switch this holiday because it's just only getting more and more valuable. And the games that are being announced for it, the games that are already out for it, there's a lot of great stuff to be had on the Switch, and Mario is certainly one of them. Uh, it's definitely worth considering, Mike. I'll tell you every every week until the holidays are out. You know, um, there's there's very frequent courier service between New York and London. And, you know, there's also the Internet. So if you I mean, there's we do celebrate the holidays here just as they do in New York. So (laughs) you can very easily, you know, just buy me one and send it here or get on Amazon.co.uk and order it up. And, you know, I'd be happy to share my address. I I would consider it. I would consider it if I knew for sure that you were going to play it. But I think if you buy the console yourself and I'm serious, if you buy the console yourself, you will put in a much uh, more dedicated effort to actually play the system and get games for it so i think it that really sounds like a cop-out to me you just don't want to buy me a present i, <laughs> I mean of course i want to buy you a present maybe just not the 300 dollars switch uh even though it'll have probably a great number of games bundled in i can't wait to see like the trifecta you're gonna see it one day and mike if you don't just get it right away just for the historic factor of it if you see mario kart 8 zelda and Mario in a bundle, like maybe a year or two from now, like that's the bundle to get. And if if someone yeah, passes, on that's that, true. If I see that, I may I may have to grab it. I, I really may have to. And by that time, maybe I'll be lucky, and the console price will have dipped down a little bit too. Yeah, I feel like in two or three years it'll probably be like that. That'll be the the super bundle that they will make, and it'd be great. That'd be a that great name, the good. super bundle, because they're they're Mario and Super Mario. That would work. Anyway, I have been playing Mario, and it is a fantastic game. I won't go into too much detail here. Hopefully, we'll save that for a broader discussion, uh, and especially for those who don't want any kind of content from Super Mario spoiled. But I will say it is fantastic. It is definitely exceeding my expectations. I was a little lukewarm on seeing the game. Uh, I always temper my expectations for these Nintendo games, because uh, Nintendo is a very dated company, and they have uh, are very old in many of their ways. But they 
I shouldn't be surprised, but they surprise me every time with how great their games are. I mean, <laughs> I, I finished the game over the weekend, and it is uh, easily one of my favorite games of this year. Uh, an easy contender for game of the year, though, you know, it'll probably just be a three-way tie between this and Zelda and PUBG because it is just such a fantastic game in a time where 3D platformers are very rare and far between. They are less rare than before, but there's far less of them now than there were, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And this is easily one of the best ones that have ever come out because it's just got such great worlds and a beautiful design and this excellent cap mechanic and capture mechanic that just really busts the game wide open uh, for different abilities and different level design ideas it's easily one of my favorite games it's the and certainly my favorite game i'm playing right now and uh i finished it is it going to be a game of the year contender for you oh yeah like i said it's it's easily game of year contender and it'll probably just be a three-way tie between this and zelda and PUBG because I just I couldn't possibly rank any one of those three higher than the other, and there were so many other great games too. Like I loved Persona, and um, a bunch of other games. I'm forgetting right now, of course, but I mean it's this is easily one of them. So back in God, I, I don't know. I'm just gonna say spring again because that sounds appropriate. Spring 2017. I remember some of the there there was like a screenshot or two or a trailer that came out where um Mario was running through like a city, like the streets of a city. Yeah, yeah, New Donk City. And everyone was kind of going, What the fuck is this? Like this 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 seems totally out of character for a Mario game. What the hell is going on? I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do or not. And people were kind of apprehensive about it, I remember. So what what do you can can you speak to that? Does it feel? Yeah, I certainly um, can. I I you know if for anyone who wants to just go in blind, you certainly should, and you should just skip the next like minute or two of this because you should just play the game and <laughs> experience how great it is. It's not just this. It's not a spoiler. Obviously, this is not a story game. Like the story is nonsensical in Mario Odyssey, but it just the experience of playing it, especially when I saw the new Donk City footage and uh, gameplay demos that people were doing, uh, we've gotten very used to new Donk City and seeing what you do in there. And it did look very strange for a Mario game, especially because Mario is this quasi-human, cartoon-esque human, and now he's putting pitted right up against folks that are supposed to look human in this game. So... It was very strange and very jarring at first and a little creepy to some people, myself included. But having played the game and getting up to New Donk City, it is a very, very welcome treat because the majority of the game is very Mario-esque wherein you're dropped into these levels and like uh, Super Mario 64 and Sunshine, like they've been tooting this entire time, these levels are kind of not open-ended, but they you're able to go through them in a semi-linear fashion or just explore them at your own pace. Uh, and they are, however, challenges that you have to face in a certain way and you uh, have to overcome these obstacles. But New Donk City, it's just this playground for exploration and finding different little buildings that have those uh, self-contained levels in them, like secret bonus levels, but then just messing around and jumping around these buildings and riding around on a sweet moped. Like there's just all sorts of fun things that you can do in new Donk city. And it's easily one of the best parts of the game. So, uh, that's all I'll say about the game, but it is 
it is a fantastic game. Easily one of the best uh, Mario platformers uh, of of the series. So I well, highly, highly that's, recommend that's it to anyone statement. of anyone. Oh, it's it's an easy, easy statement to make, though, because it's just so, so very good. And obviously right, the then. reviews are speaking to that. And uh, you should definitely believe the reviews because they are the game is that good for sure. move on to talk about news now we did have paris games week uh after the game apocalypse landed on us that was mario wolfenstein 2 and assassin's creed origins all launching on the same freaking day over the weekend we all finished mario or assassin's creed or whatever it was we were playing and now we have a lot of new games to look forward to a lot of announcements from playstation's paris games week conference uh some of them being spelunky 2 guacamelee 2 Destiny 2's first DLC, its release date and its name and details, uh, and then some more information and some more footage on games we've already known about, like God of War and Last of Us Part 2 and Detroit Becoming Human. One really big announcement, which I'll go over quickly, was Ghost of Tsushima, which is a Japanese open world game set in feudal Japan. Uh, and it's being made by the folks over at Sucker Punch, who were the developers of the Infamous series, which I'm a big fan of. I just liked, I only played Infamous Second Son, but that's a great game. And that looks like, looks to be a great game. Mike, have you seen anything about this game? I have not. I, I've been very much out of the loop on this. Nope. I, I'm remiss sure. to so, say. So one thing you should look into is uh, PS4, great console. You should also oh, look at the Jesus, game. here we go. Because <laughs> all these are all PS4 exclusive, obviously. Well, Ghost of Tsushima is like PS4, will be a PS4 exclusive. Uh, I'll just say it looks great. But we'll move on to The Last of Us Part Two, which got a big uh, showing at the Paris Games Week conference. And it was shown in the form of a trailer that uh, wasn't clear that it was a trailer for the last of us right away because uh joel and ellie were very missing from the trailer who are the characters in the game so it was interesting to see a trailer with new characters in it uh but basically the trailer just goes through a sequence wherein this these two women are captured by uh another woman and this old man and they both are brutally beaten and harassed. Uh, one is actually incapacitated with a hammer bludgeoning her arm and all sorts of gruesome things. And the other is uh, has a noose thrown around her neck and hung up to a tree, though she doesn't die in the, in the thing. But it is very, very brutal. And as is The Last of Us, uh, if anyone's played the first Last of Us game, it is a severely brutal game. And so, Mike, you didn't play The Last of Us, the original game, but you saw this trailer. What did you make of this trailer? It's just, I I mean, I guess this is a a sign that I've played too many violent video games or watched too many violent movies or or I've become desensitized or something. I I don't know, but it just didn't seem nearly as bad as the fervor behind it. I, I really, I don't understand it. And especially given the fact that this is a trailer for a game 
that everyone expects to be extremely violent and from a series that, as you stated, is already extremely violent and gruesome and graphic, I feel like complaining about how graphic and sort of gratuitous the violence is in this trailer is just stupid and and nonsensical. It, like, I don't know. I mean, it would be like me complaining about violence in a trailer for The Expendables 3. You know, it was like The Expendables was deliberately over the top, gruesome, just gratuitous violence for violence sake, like 90s action movie style. And it would be ridiculous of me to complain about a trailer for that movie that showcased exactly that. Well, that's definitely so, that's definitely true. But the I one problem with that is that The Expendables, like you said, it was a movie or a movie series that was known for being this uh ultra violent thrill ride for the sake of violence right it was in the whole point was they were delivering that violence to you and that's what you were going for whereas the last of us the conceit is that this violence only serves to tell the story of the brutality of humanity and then juxtapose against like the hope that uh two people who are two companions can have towards a better future and that's what The Last of Us was about, uh, as far as I am concerned. Uh, the Last of Us Part 2, we don't really know what the story is going to be behind this game. Uh, Naughty Dog and PlayStation have been very gated, uh, as they should be. But uh, this trailer didn't tell us anything besides that The Last of Us Part 2 will be very violent. And I agree. I don't think that it really was... This is not the game... Uh, promotion to harp on saying like this is the one that's crossed the line uh, when you're talking about pe- the fervor behind uh, people's reactions to the trailer I think you're referring to this Polygon article that I pulled up for us uh, it was a headline that read stop using extreme violence to sell your game and it was written by Julia Alexander of Polygon it's an opinion piece and uh, from what I gathered from piece uh, Julia Alexander was upset that, or just was critiquing the Naughty Dog for creating this promotion that really didn't tell us anything, didn't divulge anything to us, just gave us a load of violence. Now, I didn't find this to be offensive. I It was offensive only to the right amount, but I do agree with one factor here that Alexander puts, and that is that the game, the trailer didn't tell us anything besides Last of Us will be violent. And we already knew that. It doesn't even tell us anything about the characters we're interested in. It shows us new characters, but there's no value to seeing these brand new characters who we assume we'll see later. There's no value to that if we don't know anything about them besides they are in a world where it's very violent and they have violence done on them, right? So that I agree with. I don't think... uh, I don't necessarily agree with stop using extreme violence to sell your game. I think if it sells and it works... Uh, I think there's not too much wrong with it except for maybe messaging. And that is an argument here that it was women in the trailer. And that's uh, up to you. That's not something I had too much trouble with in this trailer, particularly though. Well, I mean, and I think, I mean, I'm putting words in Julia Alexander's mouth, but I think she would say that you don't have a problem with women being in the trailer because you're not a woman. That's very fair. And, I, I can I, understand that argument, but I think her argument that it's inappropriate, I mean, she's basically saying it's inappropriate 
to do this to women in a trailer. And the, you know, the, the logical leap from that statement is then, therefore, it's okay to do that to men in a trailer. And, I mean, we don't need to go very far down this road, but, you know, that's ridiculous to state that it's okay to do that to men, but not to women. And so I, I don't know. I yeah, just think- yeah. You know, it may not be uh, a f- question of appropriateness. Moreover, just that it is not very creative to have a woman being beaten in the game. But I mean, it was also, I, I don't really want to talk about that, to be honest. You're, you're right that we don't have to delve into much that too much. I think, though, that I do agree with the fact that it was literally just violence for violence sake. And that's not offensive to me. I just didn't get anything from it. And I would have liked more. I would have liked something that more from a last of us promo, you know, like I wanted to, some more details on this. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I just don't really agree with, with any of this. I, I don't, I don't feel like this is the first trailer movies or, or games or anything that has had gratuitous violence just for the sake of having it and not actually giving an explanation as to why. Well, that's fair. That's fair. That's actually like the point, right? That this is, it's a cliche to have this kind of trailer that like, uh, that's why the the headline is stop doing this because we're doing it over and over. That's part of the argument, I think. Well, I think it's that, but I think it's just, I, I don't think that argument would be would have been made if people weren't made uncomfortable. So like, so uncomfortable by the content in this trailer. And, and I think a large part of that is because it's women getting hit versus men. And like, you know, like I said, we don't have to go too far down this. And I I mean, I understand that um, violence against women is wrong, but violence against anyone is fucking wrong. Yeah. And so I feel like there just needs to be, there needs to be, if you're going to say it's inappropriate to do this to women, then I'm sorry, but you need to be very specific and say that, yes, it is also inappropriate to be doing this to men in a trailer. And she did not specifically say that. So I, I uh, yeah, I guess we should just stop talking about it now, but I'm sure if you asked her, she would say that it's inappropriate to do this to men as well. But I suppose Maybe that's one of my biggest issues with this is that that hasn't been said outright, and that pisses me off. I I don't know if that's true, but uh, I will say all I'll say for this is that uh, the reason why this bothers me is because I know for a fact that Neil Druckmann, who is the storyteller behind this, he's the director of the game and the head of the game, and I assume the, the lead writer of the game, he will have a story to tell and he will have a purpose to this. Uh, Neil has always been very sensitive to uh, the uh, portrayal of women and to the actual uh, rising of women's portrayal in games and culture in general. Hell, he is the creator, one of the creators behind Ellie, who is one of the great, hallmarks of uh heroic women in video games right and unsexualized heroic women in video games and i have deep respect for neil Druckmann for that so i trust him to deliver a story that 
justifies or creates reason for these violent attacks or uses of violence or what have you. I just think it wasn't well communicated in this trailer. I think the trailer just was bland as a result. I I wasn't offended. I was, you know, shocked at the time. I think one reason why, Mike, you weren't really shocked by what happened was because you were expecting violence, like hard violence, because you saw this headline and you I showed you the video and then you watched the video, right? So, whereas anyone who was watching the trailer, not knowing what it was, it was pretty shocking, you know, when they took that hammer to the woman's arm, because we didn't know what we were going to see. And so, it was definitely shocking at the time, but that was effective. But then, there was no payoff, there was no, we didn't find out anything. And that's one of the main points that's made in this article specifically, that I agree with. I don't agree with some other things either. So, that's where I stand, really. I, I just I don't know I, I object to all of the all of the 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 outrage behind this trailer it all seems completely pointless and meaningless to me it's like I've said this has been done a million times before it's not even that bad there's hundreds of movies and games and books and everything out there that are that are far fucking worse than this whether it's towards men or women or both or like I, I just I do not understand the outrage well it's behind not this it's in, Anyway, it, I don't see outrage. I just see a criticism here. I didn't hear anything else, though. That's the thing. I haven't heard anything besides this one opinionated article. Uh, I don't oh. know if there's been anything else. Uh, but, I mean, all I hear is that this person thinks is tired of seeing that, right? You said, like, we've seen this over and over. And this person seems like, okay, we've seen this over and over. We don't need to see anymore. We need to find more creative ways of doing this, especially if your piece is a thought-provoking, interesting, character-driven one like The Last of Us, right? If The Last of Us was not a game series, was not a game that existed to just for the visceral pleasure of watching violence happen. That was there, but that wasn't the centerpiece of The Last of Us. The Last of Us was a character-driven story, and it was very compelling as a result. And so this person probably is a big fan of The Last of Us and therefore is sad to see it treated this way. I'm not. I just wanted more goods from The Last of Us trailer. That's all. I wanted to know who these characters were. And all I got was some brutality and that just bored me. That's all. That's where I stand on it. Well, I don't, I'll, I'll just I'll just keep my mouth shut about it now. I okay. mean, we don't we don't need to bring in the fact that she cited the 2017 report from the UN about violence against. Yeah, women. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, me I feel like her opinion piece is, is a much broader statement than just than 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 what we've talked about. So well, anyway, yeah. I, it's definitely worth reading. So you should check it out and see how read listeners how you feel about it yourselves. Uh, it's at Polygon right now, Julia Alexander. Our next news story comes from Blue Hole and Player Unknown, creator of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. The Xbox version of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, also known as PUBG, will be coming to Xbox on December 12th of this year. It is apparently going to be a beta version of the console ver- game. Uh, the console version of the game. Uh, it won't have all the features that the PC game will have by that point, which the PC game the PC version, excuse me, will have a new, the new desert map that everyone's been waiting for, the new vaulting mechanics that everyone's been waiting for, though God knows why, 
and some other features that are coming to the game. So PUBG is going to be 1.0 on PC soon, and then on Xbox, 0.8, 0.5, whatever it may be, coming to Xbox on December 12th. Mike, what do you think? I think that's great. I think it's great for Xbox. I think it's great for Blue Hole. Um, and and fans for PUBG that, that don't happen to have a PC. I mean, how can you be how can you be anything else except excited for this? Well, you know? I'm definitely excited. I've been telling a bunch of friends that play on Xbox, they're my Destiny crew that I play on there with. Uh, I've been telling them the wonders of PUBG. And they just they are they are my control group of uh, mm-hmm. people that don't read the news and they don't really play every single game that comes out like we do. Uh, not every game we don't play every game <laughs> obviously, but they don't play all the hits or like uh, even a majority of the hits. They only play like three or four games every year. Right. And uh, they're big Overwatch fans. They sometimes will buy the that year's Call of Duty, and they're big Destiny fans. Like I said. And uh, I am expecting to play a lot of PUBG on Xbox with these people. So I'm excited to see what console gamers think of this game. Especially because, Mike, you and I being PC gamers, at least me being a more nascent PC gamer, you being a seasoned PC gamer, we know the wonders of mouse and keyboard. And this, Oh my god, yes. This game takes a lot of advantage of that. And I'm interested to see how it'll translate over to Xbox. Especially. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things actually is just going to be inventory management yeah. in this game because you can do that pretty easily, although it is admittedly still a bit clunky and inconvenient on PUBG, um, you know, because you don't, you, you're you so fucking nervous all the time in PUBG. You definitely don't want to be spending a lot of time moving shit around in your inventory or dragging one thing from here to there. Yeah. Um, and so even with, what is arguably the best system mouse and keyboard it's still a bit worrying and clunky and kind of inconvenient but um on xbox man you are not really going to have any ability to do any of that so they're going to have to and and i do believe brendan green actually did address this a few months ago he did say that that was one of the big things they were really working on is because they realized that inventory management picking things up moving things around bandages you know all these other things that you have to manage in, in PUBG uh, is going to be extremely hard on an Xbox. So they've got to kind of rethink the the system there and develop sort of a new system so that it still works on Xbox. So I think um, that it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Yeah, that is the thing I'm most concerned about for Xbox, if anything at all. Uh, I think they'll find a way to make it work. But I mean, the one thing, like you said, that's really annoying about this game is inventory management. The pros, of course, the big stream streamers or what have you really know what they're doing with it now. I watch streams of people uh, messing with their inventory and they're very, very quick to snap in and out of the inventory box, especially just to pick up uh, ammunition and gear. And they're very good at it. Like you have to actually have some precision capability to Mm -hmm. manage the inventory uh, because it's actually very clunky like you said you have to use your mouse like there's no hotkey options for uh, a good amount of the inventory options like you have to slide over your gear that's lying on the floor into your inventory and there's only certain parts of the screen that you have to flick it over to like i have trouble with it and i've died many times just because i was messing with inventory right 
That might be my problem, though, because maybe I shouldn't be in the inventory and I should be keeping eyes on the battlefield. But anyway, uh, it is definitely a problem that I'm excited to see the solution for. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's going to be a great game on Xbox. It's going to perform very, very well, I expect. And uh, it, I think this will be like the game of the year for everyone to be playing as uh, Overwatch was last year. I think this is going to be the one once it hits Xbox. It is a little late, though. December. I, I expected them to have it out a little earlier than that, to be honest. Well, hopefully that means they were, you know, doing some, some good work on it, and it'll be a little bit more, you know, polished than maybe it would have been if they released it when, when you'd been hoping for it. Of course. Always good. Always good to take more time for your games. Absolutely. We still got to get that stream going, Mike, where people are going to be hearing about us allegedly planning a stream for episodes to come unless we get on and just do it man <laughs> yeah we probably we probably should actually do that shouldn't we we definitely should and we'll 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 get it going soon to be continued excellent let's move on to talk about visceral games so we've spoken a lot about visceral uh the ea studio that was shut down in the midst of their creating a linear uncharted-esque star wars game under the direction of Amy Hennig, the creator of the Uncharted series. And uh, we spoke about this last week, and possibly before that, but anyway, it was the main story talking last week. And this week, after discussing it, of course, Jason Schreier, editor of Kotaku, and uh, well-renowned reporter on video game news and uh, inside stories, uh, produced a very lengthy story going into great detail on what happened to this game and it chronicles the entire story from the manifestation of the game and its creators to the game and the f studio being shut down. Uh, the game was codenamed Ragtag and uh, it was shunk, quote, sunk by many factors including a lack of resources, a vision that was too ambitious for its budget, a difficult game engine, a director who clashed with staff, a studio located in one of the most expensive cities in the world, a <laughs> reputation for toxicity, multiple conflicts between Visceral and EA, and what can only be described as the curse of Star Wars. Mike, you've read this story, I gather. Uh, yeah, I've read the, the vast majority of it. It actually lost me a little bit towards the end just because it's so damn long. But um, I've read probably three quarters of it. Yeah. The story covers a good number of years from the conception of this game, uh, which originally it was supposed to be uh, multiple things. Like first, it started off as being a player, like uh, a bounty system where you're this space pirate, where you would go in PVE mode and you would do these uh, missions that were very Uncharted-esque and linear. And then you would go out and you would collect bound booty from the from space and you would go in your spaceship and battle other players it was a very very strange game at the beginning but then amy hennig came on board and then said i don't like this we're gonna revamp it completely and this is going to be a star wars linear experience with a han solo-esque uh rogue character at the front end of it and multiple other characters that you'll play as so it was going to be almost gta-esque you'll be playing as different characters with different abilities and different 
AI systems when you're not playing as them and they're alongside you. So it was a very, very ambitious sounding game. It was a very cool idea. And the folks at the studio thought it was cool. But as we all know, it was a little too ambitious, apparently, and never quite saw the light of day and never shall, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the that's the worst part. I mean, I, we talked about it last week, but it sounds like a hell of a game. It really does. And I think people would have loved it. It's sad. It's sad that we'll probably never see it. I mean, it's very possible people liked it. You know, these uh, concepts are always very ambitious and very exciting sounding. Uh, we heard a similar story in Mass Effect Andromeda, and I know we swore we wouldn't talk about this, but it's a very similar story from the same reporter uh, talking about a game that never saw the light of day, and now we know more about its original conception. And the difference, the main difference between these two games is Mass Effect Andromeda did come out despite its many reboots and many uh replannings and redesigning and uh changing in leadership uh star wars ragtag apparently saw similar hardships although very unique to its own situation but this game never did come out unfortunately so all these ideas that sound really really cool from a genius like amy hennig they sound fantastic but it sounds like they were a little ambitious uh and as every game generally is. So what the game would have looked like coming out might have been very different from what uh, these concepts we heard about uh, would have shown. So it's possible it could have been the best Star Wars game, but obviously it's a curse because this game didn't come out, the Bounty Hunter game didn't come out, and uh, it looks like the linear Star Wars game just is not meant to be. Clearly a curse. Clearly a curse. So what do you think of this story in general? Uh, what, what, what do you gather from the idea of Star Wars games being cursed or even just uh, video game stories getting the, getting the deep cuts on troubled development? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily... I mean, I'm only saying curse as a, as a joke. I don't actually sure. believe in, in curses, obviously. But um, I don't know. As far as... Is there a is there a reason that it seems like there's always Star Wars games that end up with this? I I think I think there is uh, either one reason or multiple reasons. I'm not that I know exactly what they are, but I think part of it is just that Star Wars is such a huge money maker, but it's also um, so important and so ingrained in so many people that it's one of those things that is really tough to make games about, and I think people are very cautious. At story writers and developers and movie studios and you know whoever any creative minds are very cautious um wading into such a sort of like a a fandom juggernaut and potentially screwing it up or going in a direction that they shouldn't go in or i don't know changing something they shouldn't creating a storyline that they shouldn't or whatever so i think that certainly has to have something to do with this but i think in this particular games case and with visceral studios it sounds to me just like ea basically um yeah that's definitely ea it's definitely a big factor on it i think you hit on something like here it's ea uh a similar story we heard from 1313 from a book called blood sweat and pixels great book mike you should read it and listeners you should read it there was a great chapter in it and it was very much a story just like this but it was published in a book and it was telling a very similar story, and the story is about control. Control fighting between the creators, the leads of the creators, and then 
the owners or the studio heads or the publisher heads, right? Like in Star Wars thirteen thirteen, the creator and well, the uh, owner was Lucas, and George Lucas came in and wanted things to be changed, and that caused problems and delays. And then here, EA wanted some changes, and uh, Amy Hennig wanted to change things. And the issue of control and vision is a big part of this. And it's hard to have control and vision for something that isn't yours. Star Wars is now this inherent IP that is inherently not owned by anyone because the original creator was always this very controlling figure, right? George Lucas was always known for being very, very sensitive to uh, having the Star Wars name not tarnished, ironically. Uh, So he always was at the helm and always very controlling of how his IP was used. And now that legacy has carried on without him now that he sold the game. Uh, not sold right. the game, sold Star Wars to Disney. Sold IP, yeah. Yeah, now uh, Disney is very protective of it, and as a result, EA is very protective of it. But Amy has her own vision of it, and the creators have their own struggle with that. And it's all just a story of control over this IP that is highly regarded as this great... Uh, it's this pedestal, on the highest pedestal of IPs. And I think that is where the curse is, Mike. I, I like you don't believe in curses, but I think the curse is if it's a thing, it is something that we that the creators are putting on themselves, that there's this weight to it. And there's this ambition that must be um, endeavored in every Star Wars project ever. And it ruins these games. And then, of course, uh, you know, money and budget is always something that comes into the problem. But yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I agree. I think that it's just the factor of it being Star Wars and people wanting it to be the best it can be, but then everyone has different ideas of what that must be. We can't get a just can't just get a Star Wars game out of it, man. I wonder like where we're gonna get those Star Wars. Like there's another one coming out from Respawn. Like we we heard long ago that there was a Respawn Star Wars game in the works. The creators right. of Titanfall. And I mean, are we not getting that? Is that gonna be turned into a multiplayer game? Was it always a multiplayer game? Are we going to see these Star Wars games? It's looking like more and more that EA, not that EA is failing to deliver Star Wars. Like we got Battlefront and we got a couple of, I think there are some mobile games. There's that Star Wars Galaxy game that's very, very uh, lucrative. But we haven't seen a lot of Star Wars save for Battlefront. So I'm wondering if EA is doing as great a job as they had expected. I don't know, but I mean, if it means, you know, that EA will be in charge of creating less Star Wars games, I'm all for that. So, um, that would be, I'm happy with that. It's, it's possible. You know, we, they, I assume they don't have just rights indefinitely to Star Wars. It's a license and they will only have rights for a certain number of years. And then there will be, I assume either a, um, I assume either the the contract will expire or they'll re-up with EA and uh, we'll see who else gets a shot at it. But uh, I mean, I hope all the best. You know, I know everyone hates on EA, but I, I always just hope that uh, everyone does well and that, you know, games sell well and uh, single player games Joe, don't die. Joe, you're such die. a nice guy. I, well, I just want good games and, I, and, I, that's, and if EA can deliver good games, then I'll be happy with them. But uh, it looks like they're not coming out. So that's, that's definitely <laughs> sign one for being a problem. Yep, that's definitely the major sign. Yeah. 
Well, Mike, unless you have something else to add for this week, I think that'll do us in for the week. Uh, there's only so much Star Wars visceral game stories I can handle. And I think uh, this will, again, uh, with another report from uh, Kotaku, this will put to bed the Star Wars visceral game story. Though we'll be talking about the death or rebirth of st- uh, single-player narrative games for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly will. And I, I don't have anything else to add um, at the moment, unfortunately. No, that's fine. I mean, an hour with you, I think that's plenty for me. Don't Nothing unfortunate <laughs> about that. But I always appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. And everyone, thank you all for listening. Uh, this is, of course, Joe DeClara reporting to you. Uh, not reporting. We're just sitting here talking about video games. But you can hear more of that by following me on Twitter at Joey Dagabonuts. That's Joey Dagabonuts with the D and the B switched around. And then Mike Pierce, you can follow, which you should. He's a very sweet dude on Twitter. Uh, You can follow him at Grumpy Gamer. That's Grumpy with two R's. And uh, you can, of course, subscribe to our podcast and all that wonderful stuff. Email us at GamingTrend at, no, podcast at GamingTrend.com. Always mess it up. Mike, thank you for joining me this week. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joe.